we are in Luke chapter 22. And I think uh, next time when I see you, um, I'll be sharing a Christmas message. So we'll take a one month break from Luke. But today we're going to be Luke um, 22 verses 31 to 54. And so if you will open your Bibles there, that would be great. As we continue on through Luke, um, my father and I were actually discussing this morning the different things um, that each writer um, emphasizes. And so we'll see some of the particular things that Luke brings out as we go forward today. I'm actually going to start reading in Luke 22, verse 30, and I'm going to read starting out with the first nine verses. But before I do that, um, I will say that um, my message today is called The Long Night Begins. And before I begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you that you are um, supreme over all. We continue to pray for our nation um, I, can, I pray for our brothers and sisters at the Summerlin Baptist Church, particularly for the pastor there, um, that you would uh, give him your comfort as he and his family walk through the valley of the shadow of death, having lost their 14-year-old daughter. And Lord, there are no easy answers, but we know that you have said this, let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we know, we have confidence that that young lady is in your presence today. And we just pray for her family and for the rest of the saints that are gathered there, that you would make them an example, a light to the world, that the world would look at them and scratch their heads and say, how can they still be glorifying you out of this tragedy? But that's really where the rubber meets the road when tragedy comes and we can still say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, we seek to bless your name this morning as we open your word and we ask that you would be with us to guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first point of my message today as we begin this long night um, that obviously it started with the um, Lord's Supper which we talked about last time and so now we come to Luke 22 30 and we'll read the first passage here 30 through 39 and I'll just um Start with 29 for context. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crew this day, before that thou hast thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse, and scrip and shoes lacked you anything? And they said nothing. Then he said unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment to buy one. For I say unto you that it is written, that this that is written must yet be accomplished, and he was reckoned among the transgression, transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And they went out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And we see here with this first point that the Lord is admonishing Peter as he so often does. And then he's also seeing to the needs of the disciples. I always find it interesting that even though he was doing the battle of the ages, even though he was concerned with the souls of men, and that his main concern was saving those souls, plugging those souls as brands from hell, that still as a man, he cared for the physical needs of those around him. Remember that even on the cross, he had concern for his mother. And he made sure that she had a surrogate. Sad that at that point it couldn't have been one of her own sons, but they were not believers. And so he said to the disciple that he loved, Behold your mother, and to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And it says, From that hour John took her into his house. I wonder what that would have been like. But as we see here, um, Jesus is talking about the fact that the disciples will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he says to Simon, Satan desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He wanted Peter, the devil wanted Peter bad. Because I believe he, along with Jesus, in a sense, saw the potential of Peter. It was mentioned at a meeting that I was at yesterday that when you purpose to wholeheartedly follow Christ, you put a target on your back. The devil hates the followers of Christ. He hates all mankind, but especially the followers of Christ. Why? Because he's a thief. Because he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so anything that reminds him of the abundant life of Jesus, 
he wants to snuff out. And then Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Can you imagine this? Jesus is about to go through the most agonizing night he's ever experienced. And yet he says to Peter, I prayed for you, Peter. You know, they, they should have been praying for him. As a matter of fact, he asked them to pray with him and for him, and they failed. But he says, Peter, I prayed for you. And Peter, being his brash, bold self, he says this, Lord, I am ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And Jesus gives Peter a reality check and says, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. There were so many times when Peter thought he was right and he was wrong. And there were times when he would fluctuate between being right and being wrong. Remember, Jesus said, who, who do men say that I am? And they talked about all the prophets and all the great men that they esteemed in their culture. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet just a few verses later, possibly the next day or possibly even the very same day, when Jesus said, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to give my life up for you, and he said, "Get." He said, no, far be it from you to die, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now obviously he wasn't literally calling Peter Satan, but can you imagine Peter hearing those words? And yet that is the type of person Peter was, and I'm encouraged because that's often the type of person I am. My family will tell you that I'm great at opening my mouth and saying the wrong thing. But if there's hope for Peter, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. And if there's hope for me, there's hope for you as well. That's what we celebrated a few moments ago at the Lord's table. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different pasts. We all have things that we're not proud of, things we're downright ashamed of. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's the great equalizer. No one is greater than anyone else. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom need to be servants. And so as we, as we continue... He kind of seems to make a break and in some ways it's very amazing to me that he starts talking about their practical needs. He said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. Remember he sent them out two by two and he said, Don't bring anything with you. Allow me to take care of you, and other people will take care of you. And if they take care of you, accept it. But if they won't take care of you, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. But today he's saying, if you have a purse, take it. 
and your scrip. And if you have a sword, if you have no sword, sell the garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And I think about this buying a sword thing, and it seems almost kind of ironic, considering that later he will tell Peter to put up his sword. But I think Jesus was distinguishing the difference between defending your family and those that you are charged with caring for and altering the plan of Almighty God. You see, Jesus was telling Peter, you can't thwart the plans of the Almighty. God has a plan. I need to die. I need to drink this cup for you, Peter. So you can't take up the sword in this instance. But I don't think that he was speaking completely against any offensive efforts to protect those that we love and care about. And then he says something extremely profound. He quotes and talks about the prophecy and he was reckoned among the transgressors. I don't think we often spend enough time contemplating what that means. There were three crosses on that hill that day. Two of them had two common thieves. There was a third thief that, that Pilate brought out to the people. His name was Barabbas. I believe the middle cross was his. But Pilate asked the people, as was his tradition, every year around the feast, who would you have me deliver to you? And they said, Jesus. Or they, they said, Barabbas. And then he said, what should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And today we have a society where people say we have no king but ourselves. I'm the king of me. And all that leads to is chaos and heartbreak. People always say when these tragedies happen, oh, we need gun control. We need to ban all weapons. And sadly and strangely, they, they want to ban any type of prayer and crying out to God. The governor, I believe, of New York, <coughs> Mario Cuomo, or Andrew Cuomo, son of Mario, said this, don't offer your thoughts and prayers to these people because we have priests and pastors for that. My friends, my Bible says 
we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We can all step boldly before the throne of God to find help in time of need. We don't have to be a pastor or even anyone who preaches to cry out to God on the behalf of others. And prayer doesn't mean that nothing bad happens. People have also said, those people who were attacked last Sunday, they were in a church, they were in a house of prayer, obviously prayer doesn't work. But God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're above us. And so, they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords, and he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. Do you ever think about this? That he went to a place that he was often at. His disciples told him before, Don't go to Jerusalem because they'll kill you. And maybe they might have been thinking, well, if, if people are out to kill him, maybe he should go to a different place. But he went to the place where he often went. It says in another passage that Judas knew the place because it was a place that Jesus often went. But he did that for you and he did that for me. The Bible says before he went to Jerusalem that he set his face as a flint, he was determined to go there. And uh, I'm just going to read real quick verse 42. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And then if we can look as by way of cross reverence at first Peter five eight. First Peter five eight, these are the words of Peter. And I, I have no doubt that perhaps he was thinking of this night when he wrote these words. First Peter five eight. If anyone has that they can stand and share it with us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks at the ball, seeking whom he may devour. And what did we see in Peter? Jesus said it this way. He said. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan wants you. He wants to destroy you, Simon. And what happened? Simon didn't have his guard up. He was bold. He thought he had it all together. And Satan persuaded him to deny knowing Jesus. As things get worse and worse for Christians around the world and here in the U.S., one of my most fervent prayers is that I would have the grace, the extra measure of grace if the day comes that I will have to be martyred for my faith. 
Most days I feel weak. I feel like a wimp and I could easily be beaten up and persuaded to do anything. But I have to believe that just as Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he stood up in defense of the man that was healed from his crippledness, it says Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit stood up and said, Men and brethren, if you must know by what power this man was made whole, know that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, that this man stands before you whole. And I can only trust and believe that if the time comes when I'm called to account, that he'll give me an extra measure of grace in that moment. He doesn't promise it ahead of time. And he doesn't promise us someone else's grace, but he promises to give us grace and the help that we need in time that we need it. But we, at the same time, need to be prepared. Okay, I have a little story here. It says, school was just beginning. One morning I went out to start the car to go to church. Flat tire, luckily I had a spare. Changed tire quickly and on way. Didn't think to drop the spare off to be fixed. I'll get around to it. Within five days, went out to the car to go to school, another flat, only this time, no spare. Had to roll it to the nearest station and wait while it was fixed. When something breaks, fix it now. Don't wait until you need it and then don't have it. That's why Jesus was admonishing them to pray lest they enter into temptation, because he knew that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew that we have to be prepared. That's why Paul says to put on the whole armor of God, that we can stand against the fiery darts of the wicked one. Never were the fiery darts more hot than that night. He thought he was going to win an ultimate victory. He didn't know the end of the story. Okay. Our second point, Jesus prays and asks the disciples to do the same. Jesus gives us such an example of what to do when we're going through trial. A lot of times people say, all we can do is pray. And I know what they mean by that because we feel like we need to do something physically and tangible to help people. But really that's the wrong thing to say. Because prayer is the most powerful thing we can do. It should be our first resort. And it's through prayer that we can learn the actions that we should do. Perhaps God wants to give us a solution to our situation, but we don't call on Him like we should. And Jesus' first resort is prayer. How many times did He get away from everyone and spend the night in prayer? And if the God in, God of the universe, God incarnate, found strength in prayer, how much more should we, who are imperfect people? Luke twenty two forty to 46 says, And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And he being in agony, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And my dad looked up what stones throw meant, and it said that Jesus was in the earshot of the disciples, and that the prayer that he prayed that night was partially for their benefit. That they would see that he was committed to God's will, no matter what it was. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And uh, we know from another passage that he actually prayed this three times. Some people, I think, have the false belief that you should pray once and let it go because it's vain repetition if you don't. I've had people literally say or imply that to me. But the God of the universe is here pleading with his Father, and he does it over and over again. I think it's an example to us that if we are earnest, if we're not praying in vain, that he wants to hear the same things from us over and over again. I cry out repeatedly for people that I know that do not know the Lord. Because I want them to know and experience his truth and his love. And many times when people are close to us, they won't listen to us. But God can still send someone else into their life to share with them what we've been sharing with them in a way that makes them understand because the Holy Spirit of God can work and move upon their life. And this seems like a, such a trite way to say it. And being in agony. We have no idea what that agony was about. Not really. And then he rose up and he found his disciples sleeping. He wanted them to be with him and they were sleeping. In the time of his greatest need, the people he was closest to were sleeping. And then he entreats them again. Pray, lest you enter into temptation. So he knows this is a very real possibility for them. Can we look at Romans 8.32? Romans 8.32 If you have it you can stand and read it for us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
we talked earlier in the breaking of bread of how he could have called 10,000 angels or 12 legions of angels, which is more like 72,000. But whatever the number, he could have called them. And they could have destroyed the world. He destroyed the world with a flood once and he's been justified and he would have been justified in doing so over and over and over again through history. And yet he showed his mercy. Even the fact that he hasn't come yet is a mercy to those who do not yet know him. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but that he is patient to us word, for he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Now, I don't know what his number is. I don't know who the last person is to be converted, but I do know this, that he's not going to come until his full plan has been accomplished. And I'm thankful today that I can live in the promise of the fact that he is coming. I want to encourage you to trust him today while you still can. Ivan endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he is praying with his eyes closed. When a fellow prisoner notices him and says, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. So often I know myself, I want to be delivered from whatever trial I think I'm in. And sometimes God delivers us from trials. Ultimately, we'll be delivered from them all. But other times, he holds our hand and he says, you can make it. You can make it through this trial because I'm here with you. And anyone that says that Christians shouldn't suffer does not understand the fact that our Lord and Savior suffered for us. It was his suffering that gave us the ability to be saved. Alright, our final point today is Jesus is betrayed. It's amazing that after three years of walking with Jesus that Judas could have missed the whole point. But it proves that it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to know all the Christianese. It's not enough to know all of the Lord's people. It's not enough to have memorized the Bible word for word. I remember a story about a man who had memorized large portions of the Psalms in Israel. I heard about this. And he wrote out several scrolls of the Psalms. And yet at the end of the day, he said, I'm an atheist. Now, from my converted mind and heart, how can you read the Psalms and come away from that an atheist? 
but it just shows that the devil has blinded the eyes of this world. Oh. Luke 22, verse 47, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the captains of the temple, Behold, be ye come unto me against a thief with swords and stave. While I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the hour of darkness. Then he took them and led them away and brought him to the high priest, and Peter followed afar off. And next time we get together, we'll find out what happens with Peter. But I want to point out just a couple things here, and then finish with another short story. But first I want to point out the fact that Jesus is in the midst of being arrested and he's going to be tried and convicted falsely. And he's going to die on the cross for our sins. Bridging the gap between heaven and hell for us. And yet what does he do? He touches this servant's ear. Who we know from another book is Malchus. And he heals him. He's about to die. And he heals Malchus. I hope Malchus is in heaven. Because if I was in that garden and my ear was cut off and Jesus healed it, I might start to think that maybe we're doing the wrong thing. And then also, it's kind of significant in this verse 53, Jesus says, This is your hour, not your eternity. Because Jesus had all eternity to prove that he was the victor over this situation. He said, this is your hour. And while we may grieve the things that the devil is getting away with now, this is his hour. But an eternity is coming where he has no say. Because his power has been done away with. And when they asked if they should smite with the sword, he says, Suffer ye thus far. In another passage, he says, Shall I not drink the cup that has been left for me? He needed to do this for us. I trust and pray and hope that you are following him. And I just want to close with this and then we will have prayer. I told you a month or two ago that I had found a 
story that was kind of a description of the disciples and who was the most qualified disciples and then disciple and then it was shocking to me how succinctly this is put. So imagine if you will that Jesus to modernize it a little bit goes to a business consultant and says, Help me put together my twelve associates, and this is what came back. It says from Jordan Management Consultants to Jesus the Son of Joseph in Nazareth. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the twelve men you picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all the tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. And that is from Eating Problems for Breakfast by Tim Hansel, Word Publishing, 1988. I just thought that was an interesting way of putting it. That in some ways, Judas was the most qualified as far as the world is concerned. But we know from the story of David and so many others that God looks not on the outward appearance, but looks on the heart. What does he see when he sees your heart? Does he see that it's open to him? Or does he see that it's closed? I beg you, implore you, knowing the terror of God, that you open your heart to him today. He's waiting to hear from you. The Bible says to call upon him while he is near. And that if you seek him, you will find him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together to open your word, we know that we've just scratched the surface, Lord. We ask that you would bless it to us. Lord, we ask in this month of Thanksgiving that we would
find much to be thankful for. That we would uh, adapt an attitude of thanksgiving for you have implored us to, to consider things in that way over and over in the scriptures. You tell us to make our prayers and supplications known to you with thanksgiving. And only then will the peace of God rule in our hearts. So we pray that we would have attitudes of thanksgiving so that we can have your peace. I pray that you would go with us in our separate ways, guide us safely home, and bless the activities of the afternoon, whatever they may be. May you make your face shine upon each of these people and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.